the Surviving Outside Sales Podcast, hosted by Mike O'Kelly, presented by Rhythm AI. The goal is to get in, dominate, then get out. Surviving Outside Sales, along with the show. Welcome to the Surviving Outside Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike O'Kelly, and very excited for our guest today, Mr. Eric Grahovac. He is the owner and founder of EG60 Consulting, and he had recently just moved to Hilton Head, South Carolina, a very gorgeous area if you haven't been there before. Eric, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, this, Mike. This afternoon. Yeah, this afternoon. Yeah, we, great. we passed over the threshold. It's the afternoon. <laughs> we were chatting before the show so long, I completely forgot what day and time we, we were, but I'll digress. So really excited. If you aren't following Eric on LinkedIn, you are missing out, especially if you are in the medical device or medical sales field, because as a seasoned veteran and pro with Striker for about 12 years, Eric knows the ins and outs, especially East Coast director. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. My, my last role at Striker was sales director for the East. So anything East of the Mississippi is probably the easiest way to think about it. So when you want to talk about an expert in medical sales, we have one today. So Eric, with that introduction, take the audience back as far as you want to and catch us up to date with what you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, just a former offensive lineman played at Ohio University, the Ohio University, so not Ohio State, <laughs> Ohio's first and finest university, the Bobcats. I played offensive line there. My dream was to always be the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I pursued that as a, as a graduate assistant coach at the University of Louisville, went on to coach the tight ends there, and then ultimately learned that that's, a, that's an industry that's very difficult to, to start a family in, just because it's kind of like working for the carnival. You never really know where you're going to live and pretty unpredictable. So long story short, got into sales. A guy I was coaching with at the time previously worked at ADP, not ADT, the security company, ADP, got a lot of a lot of rejections from cold calls I did at ADP when they thought I was the security company that let them down one time. So that, <laughs> those were always fun, but spent a year doing that. Um, wanted to get into med device. That was kind of the goal. My brother was, was in the industry at the time, I had some friends that were doing it. And it just kind of, you know, it grabbed me early on in terms of interest. And, you know, I was in Cincinnati selling payroll on the West side, did that for a year. We relocated back to Pittsburgh. My wife was got matched. She's a surgeon, so she, her surgical residency was in Pittsburgh, which is where we're from. And coincidentally enough, the guy, or the, the gal I was picking out diamonds for her engagement ring had a brother that worked for Novartis Pharmaceuticals, and she said she could introduce me to him and and we could talk. And long story short, there I got involved with Novartis Pharmaceuticals for three years. And then one day when I was driving, got a call from a former teammate of mine that said, stop what you're doing right now. You need to go interview for this job with Stryker selling stretchers in -hmm. Pittsburgh. And that was kind of where it started from there. And then, you know, sold for four years, managed for a couple of years, sales director for a few years. And and now I'm doing my own thing here as a consultant, just trying to help people break into the business, stay in the business and, and perform. And when the time comes and, and, and they're ready to be leaders of others, we got some coaching for them too as well. But right now, I'm just trying to do as much as I can on LinkedIn to help people for free. And the posts are gold. 
Every single one has been a nugget. I'm not pumping up too much, Eric, but I, I wish that I could create as many great posts that are just chock full of actionable items and mindsets, et cetera. So if you're listening now, you realize that Eric has done all three phases of surviving outside sales, getting in, dominating and getting out and kind of doing what you want to do. And as I mentioned before, everybody at a certain age is going to hit that mark. I know I did a couple of years ago. So we'll come back to the consulting, the EG60, but take us back. So you started with ADP, which is kind of like the enterprise. It is the great training kind of company, Copy, copiers, payroll, et cetera. Yep. ADP is one of them. Talk about your time there, what you learned for people who are trying to break into different industries, because my journey into the pharmaceutical medical space is probably very similar to yours, but it's not as simple as one might think, although it just takes a process. It takes certain steps. So walk through, you know, besides getting a phone call or getting the hookup, mm -hmm. I'm sure you had to do some, some selling, especially going from pharma to medical sales. That probably was the hardest transition, but share with the audience some of the things you did and maybe is it it's interviews? Is it research? How did you prepare yourself in order to make those transitions from those different industries? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the ADP thing was interesting. And I remember as I was prepping for that, that exact interview, you know, someone, someone that I was talking to, I don't remember who it was at this point. They were basically like, you're going to need to be, be ready to share that you do have sales experience. And as a college football coach, recruiting mm -hmm. is sales. I mean, when you're, when you're, you're talking to a high school kid and you're trying to convince them and their mom and their dad and their aunt and their grandma and everybody in their neighborhood and their high school coach, that they need to come spend the next four years at your university. That's about as, that's about as salesy as it gets, if you will. So I, I just kind of had to regroup myself and realize like I've been selling and I've been selling for, for a longer time than I initially thought. So heading into the ADP interview, I kind of brought that with me. So it was a little mm -hmm. bit of like, hey, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't had a territory. I've never been given a Chevy Malibu to go drive around <laughs> town and, and knock on the doors of, of you know body shops and bakeries and all the small businesses that, that you're knocking on. But I, I've, I've, I've taken people from a no to a yes before, you know? And so spent a year doing that with ADP and ADP was a great company. I was, I always say going to ADP is like going to the Marines. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn how to fight and you're going to learn how to win. And, and that's exactly what, what they, what they provide from, from a training perspective. And it's, it's, you know, you learn very quickly that, you know, how you spend your time and where you go out in the field really matters. So that was kind of my first, you know, my first exposure to just managing a territory and, mm -hmm. and getting comfortable or uncomfortable with with that, but it's a tough, it's a tough business. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot to do and, uh, you know, 12 months certainly isn't a long time to spend in that sort of industry, but, but that was the life circumstances that we had making our way back to Pittsburgh and then getting into, into, uh, into pharma from there, but two, two very different industries when you, when you go B2B sales and, and then pharmaceuticals. Yeah. So that transition was probably very eye-opening because in pharmaceuticals, you pretty much know anybody that has a doctor, that's pretty much the target. Right. But in the payrolls, you're basically, you're a bird dog. You're trying to scrounge up any type of business. It could be a dry cleaners. It could be a grocery store, et cetera, as you mentioned. And yep. so it's very targeted in pharmaceutical and medical. You know, you're not going to just sell to 
you know, 7-Eleven or things like that. So it's very targeted. You pretty much can do a, a nowadays you can do a Google search and figure out who you're going to be calling on. What was the bigger transition? Which was harder going from ADP to pharma or pharma to medical? I mean, they were all just very different because ADP was, they gave you all that training to know how to fight, but then, you know, off you go, you go out into your territory. And like you said, I mean, any business that had from one to 49 employees Mm -hmm. was who you could, you know, make hay with basically. So you think about the West side of any town, that's a lot of businesses. And then you get into pharma and it's a little more boiled down. These are your targets. You need to do so many of these things a day, call on so many of these people, samples, lunches, dinners. They really constantly told you like where to put your feet in front of you. And then when I got to Stryker, what I what caught me, what I fell in love with the quickest about Stryker was it was a it was a blend of both, right? There was there was brand recognition in the hospitals, but it was also very hands off. Like, hey, we're bringing you here because we think you're great. Here's your quota. Here's your turf. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna move out of the way, and and that really just the the pure belief that I felt it from my the guy that hired me into Striker was just like he believed in me. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't there to like uh, to rein me in or, or get in my way or do anything to disrupt who I was it, just as a person. Forget about it as a sales rep. He just he just believed in me so much, and I was like, wow, that's I haven't felt this in a long time. You know, and so it was just kind of a magical combination of great company at Striker, amazing products. Even though I was selling stretchers, they're not a very sexy product. Like no one in the hospital wants to talk about a stretcher. They need Um, them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They need them. They need them. Every every patient's going to touch one at some point. But so we had to really figure out a, a, a way to make those things important in the building or at least help very busy customers realize they're an important part of what they do every day. And so that was kind of, you know, by the time I got the striker, everything kind of came together that way. It was the perfect storm of great manager, world-class manager that truly understood how to manage people and uh, great products and great culture and, and just, you know, the type of, the type of company you can really thrive at. Yeah. When I think of the med device, med sales, striker is almost one of the gold standards. You know, the things come to me are like Medtronic, Stryker, 3M. Those are kind of the the biggest brands, you know, the hospital brands. I'm sure there's more. I sure there's some I don't know about, but you know, I mean, Stryker definitely was when I remember seeing, I think we talked beforehand, I tried to interview Stryker several times and I couldn't get past people saying, well, you've got too much pharma. And so that was a hurdle for me. And did you get any of that when you were interviewing? Not necessarily. I mean, I was only with Novartis for three years. And I think what med device companies and hiring managers and med device look at is there, there is a certain threshold of time. And I don't know, you know, we never really had it wired in our brain. Like, you know, make sure you look for this, this sort of career span in pharma or stay away from somebody that's been there X amount of years. But certainly, you know, it was like, it was just knowing that industry in particular and, and what you do every day to win there versus what you were going to have to do every day to win selling capital at Stryker. You just want to keep an eye on like, okay, that's their experience, but what's their story? How are they going to pitch themselves to me in an interview? And if they, if any candidate hooks you hard enough and you see the talent and you're asking the right questions, their experience matters very little, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day. And I know the probably doesn't make you feel any better, you know, about, you know, the pursuits from the past, but you can just kind of see when someone is, is in the, is in the mix and they're just a little bit, it's just been a long time since they tasted blood. 
yeah. if you will, you know, and you, you could see it and you could feel it. And that's really what you're looking for when, when you could be hiring somebody from that sort of industry coming in to sell a hundred percent commission, you know? Yeah. And, and as, as we mentioned before uh, the show, it is, that was one of the reasons why I, I enjoyed being in the pharmaceutical industry. I, it changed my life. But at some point I wanted to get into a direct sale where somebody was going to sign on the dotted line. Right. I want an agreement. Yep. And because I could do everything right in the pharmaceutical world. And I don't know if this happened to you at Novartis, but you know, doctors like, oh man, staff's like, we've been crushing it. We've been writing it. We love the product, blah, blah, blah. And the numbers don't reflect it yep. <laughs> because either, I mean, I, I sold a lot, several products that were very high copays. Yep. And so then it came down to the purchasing power of somebody that I could not persuade. And mm-hmm. so they're basically just looking at it as I could spend $50 on this, or I could spend $50 on this. And so yep. that frustrated me. And I wanted yep. to get away from that. I wanted the decision to be made as much as the decision is ultimately made in front of me. I know a lot of times decisions are made in rooms where you're not there. And yep. so, but I, I didn't want it to just be, I do everything right in the office, but I don't have the downstream capabilities of the pull through. And that always frustrated me, but you know, if you're in pharma right now, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can get into med sales. Yep. So what advice would you give? Because I know this is a hot button topic in the pharmaceutical space. Yeah. Yeah. People want to get into medical because after about four to five years, gosh, even a decade, you just want more and it's nothing against the pharmaceutical companies and it's nothing about the industry. It's just, you can only go to Dr. Smith's office and drop off coffees and talk to the nurses so many times before you're like, I want to be in the OR 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 I'd mentioned before, like I got a chance to call on plastic surgeons and, and be in the surgery suite and understand a side of the business that is growing rapidly. So what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to make that transition, regardless of how many years they have in pharma? Yep. Yeah. I think the the biggest thing is going to be just own it, own, own what it is that you were doing, you know? And, and the, the challenge oftentimes with pharma is you're, you're in this pod, right? You've got, you've got these counterparts that are selling the same widget in this case, a medication, whatever it might be that you are, you're calling on the same doctors. It's like this whole team dynamic. So you don't really know who's pulling their weight and who's not, especially if you're the hiring manager learning about the pod. So you just, mm-hmm. you just have to own what the circumstances are in the job and say, Hey, listen, I work on a pod. There's six people. We're all kind of pulling and pushing and, and trying to do as much as we can to advance the market share of our product. I don't necessarily own the, the wins and losses the way I want to. That's why I'm here. I'm here because I'm, when the scoreboard lights up, I want to know that I did it. You know, that's, I'm in search of that. You know, if someone is compelling enough sitting across from you in a Marriott lobby and they come that way, and then they even have perhaps some history of entrepreneurship, just that sort of spirit, B2B sales, all of that, and you put it all together, you can be swept off your feet just as easily as a hiring manager than, than someone that never went to pharma and came in the same way. You know, that that's the bottom line is like, you can still get in, just own it. You know, it's like, I always tell people when you're going in, they're going into a med device interview, they'll ask me, what advice do you have for me? It's like, tell the truth. <laughs> if you do that, you're good. You know, you're not going to get caught in a situation where you're like, oh shoot, what did I say? Cause now I might, you know, you, you I've seen that happen to candidates and I, you know, you feel bad for them. It's like, you don't need to do that. Just own your situation. Tell them how you're feeling. 
You want this job because you want to, you know, if you don't go out in the territory that day, this product doesn't get sold in your town. Is that the offer you guys have? Because that's what I'm looking for. And if hiring manager hears that, they're going to be like, hot dang, I want to see you again, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's an aggressive, it's not a passive, it's not waiting for somebody to ask the questions and then trying to formulate the answer. It's taking control. One of my buddies, I I went on many interviews and I kind of thought of it as a tennis match. Well, you know, they got to hit the ball across the net and I got to hit it back. And then one of my buddies like, absolutely not. You're going to attack. Like you are attacking on the battlefield. Are you going to wait for your opponent to be ready? Absolutely not. Catch them off guard. Now, obviously we're not talking about being super aggressive, screaming in their face, but like you said, Hey, look, this is my experience, but this is what I'm going to do in the position. I've researched it and this is what I'm going to bring to the table. And if anybody else is offering this, if any other candidate is offering this, I I would hire them. Don't hire me. But if you feel like I have articulated what you want this person to do in the territory, hire me. I won't let you down. And once I did that, I think I was four for four in my final four interviews in my life. Yep. You know, and yeah. it's just, again, it's great advice. It doesn't matter what type of sales you're in or what you're going for. Highlight the things you do really well that mm-hmm. will translate to the new position yep. and do the research and know exactly what you're getting into. So you mentioned something interesting. So you took the striker job and that is commission only. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic way to sell, but now the industry, a lot of people, I've heard this from a lot of friends. What's the base salary? Yeah that comfort level. Yep. I think true sales is a lot about, you know, kind of eating what you kill. Yep. So talk about, did you approach it differently than you would have any other position? Do they at striker, did they teach it differently? I mean, you want to talk about a kick in the butt, as you mentioned yep. before, like turn out, turn that alarm off in the morning and you're getting out the door. Yep. You know, you don't eat if you don't sell anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's, keep this in mind too, right? Strikers got, I don't even know, 16, 17 divisions. You know, you've got everything from orthopedics to defibrillators to, you know, reprocess devices. It's so, it's so big. And med device is so big. I think a lot of times, I think I posted about this the other day is like, there's more to med device than just standing in the OR, you know? Yeah. So people get real fixated on that. And it's like, is it, have you thought about what a nurse needs? Cause they need a lot too. So there's a lot to sell, but I think it was, I think it was talked about in a way it's like, Hey, remember this is hundred percent commission, right? Like, but not so much like this is the downside. The upside is, and if I could have it my way, if I became the CEO of striker, everybody would be on hundred percent commission because then you're no longer employee number six, two, four, seven, eight on a P and L you're the rep in that town that if that doesn't get sold, it's a zero. And commissions are bigger when you're hundred percent commission, right? Because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a profit share with your rep. You're, it's, you're just a distributor with mm-hmm. that company. And that's yep. ideal for a sales rep to have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of the sugar that the company is going to take home for helping yeah. out these customers. Yeah. And, and when you, you'll feel that in a hundred percent environment that, you know, a good company will make you feel that it is that sort of profit share. And, and, you know, how much you make selling one widget all depends on like, you know, candidates would ask, you know, how, how much are gonna make, am I going to make in year one? And my answer was always, well, as much as you're going to be willing to negotiate with your customer, because that's the way our comp plan is set up. I, I don't know. You can make a million dollars. I hope you do. And you know, I remember interviewing, this is like an old time saying now at Striker, but I remember hearing it 
in my interview when I was interviewing to be a rep and it, it rocked me in a good way where it was like, we love to write big commission checks here, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that kind of sums it all up. Like we, we love to stroke the big check because that means you just helped out all these customers and we're willing to give you some scratch on that deal because that's the way this is supposed to work. And that, that was kind of like, that summed it all up right there of like how great hundred percent commission roles are. Cause you've got, you know, it's, you've got a piece of that success the way you should as a rep. That, that sounds exactly like the origin story of my, my partner, Justin worked at a coffin cold company and it was commission only. Yeah. And they said the same thing. They loved writing checks. You can't hide if it's commission only again, like you said, if you look at the scoreboard and it's, Hey, this person only brought in a hundred thousand other people are ringing in a million. Yeah. We got to, you know, we, we got, we got to make some changes and you can make so much more. If you're listening right now, do not be afraid of commission only. No. Okay. You will, you will always make more if it is uncapped. If you have a good product, a product that is solving a problem. If you just have a widget that is just another widget, it might be hard. Mm-hmm. But if you really understand the solution that you're bringing to the table and the product does fulfill that, then you're going to, you would make more money than you could ever make because a company that's offering you a massive base salary, th- th- you're going to make much less, much less because they're guaranteed. Basically what they're saying is in exchange for us guaranteeing you a comfort we're going to take a lot of the back end. What's the top rep that you heard of? What did they make in a commission-only position? Surviving Outside Sales podcast is brought to you by Rhythm AI. If you are in outside sales, check out rhythmai.com. That's R-I-T-H-M-A-I.com. The sales enablement tool that will help outside sales teams build their best sales days every day. Rhythm, prospecting, targeting, and routing simplified. Everything an outside sales team needs, nothing it doesn't. Try for $1 for the first month today. That's rhythmai.com. Now back to the show. There, there's always there's always a story of a rep every year that makes, you know, the crazy million dollar, you know, and it's real and you hear about it and more so on the capital side. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know so much that this, the disposable world can really reach that sort of volume unless there's some sort of, you know, unforeseen seismic bump in something, but yeah, certainly the, the, the capital reps that are in commission only there, there's been million dollar years that are out there. There's been, there's been reps that have done, you know, consistently five, six, 700,000 a year for 20 years, mm. you know, the, the the fictitious unicorns are out there for that as well. But yeah, there's, there's been some, <laughs> some big ones. So when somebody is looking at a commission only position, what factors should they be looking at? Cause you mentioned, and I'm very aware, you know, with the disposables, I sold a disposable product in the medical sales. I mean, I had base salary plus commission, but I understand it takes a lot of those little tubes to add up to the hundreds of thousands of dollars. What advice would you give somebody when they're op- they're presented with a commission only position? What are some of the things they need to look at to verify that this is something that they should go after? Yeah. Well, certainly the, you know, the competition and the product and those sorts of things are going to matter. Like what, what's going on in the market and, and how does this product differentiate itself? Like what's going to be our advantage there from a product standpoint? 
But, the, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing that our, our leaders understood at Stryker, too, and I, I know you know this with what you're doing as well, is there, there has to be a process to all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's got to be something that makes a hospital interested in a product that no one cares about to make it that interesting to be three times the cost of our closest competitor, you know, and then how do we get 85% market share? There's got to be a secret to the sauce. And, and that is the process, you know, and, and the long story in short on what you want to ask for and look for is what is the process? How do we win? The number mm-hmm. one question I would, I would always ask when I, you know, move into a new position or, you know, an acquisition integration or some of the experiences I had, first question I have in the room is how do we score points here? Mm-hmm. What's the playbook? How are we winning? Like, and if it isn't the same answer from the rep in Boston as it is the rep in San Diego, something's wrong and we need to build one. You know, that answer needs to be the same. Chick-fil-A in Boston is the same Chick-fil-A experience in, in San Diego and they win the way they win, right? Yep. And uh, so that's what you're going to want to look for. If you're going to go all in on a 100% commission job, great. But when you when you get in that interview, it's like, how do we win here? You know, what is the process for winning? And if they don't have one, you know, be concerned. Don't run from the opportunity. Maybe there's a way you can help develop that. But certainly if there's a playbook in place that's working, that's a huge advantage. What's the, what's the minimum? 18, 20%? What number should they also be looking at as far as compensation? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily look at it, you know, that way it's, it's more so like, how, how do they get to that number? How do they arrive at that number? Right. Okay. So in, in, in my experience, thinking back on things again, it was like, here's the cost of this widget. Here's, here's your freedom to give pricing and here's how you get paid. You know, so, so as long as the scale slides with your comp as to how you can negotiate with your customers, that's, that's the part that you want to look for. And then you can just do the math from there, right? If it's yeah. if the ASP is X and you're going to ask me to do this much in the next 12 months, then I can look at that scale and say, okay, 10% works for me, you know? Yeah. So good, good advice. All right. So you, we've touched on a lot, but I want to start focusing on so you were a director for Stryker and you moved from Pennsylvania to Hilton Head mm-hmm. and you started your own consulting group. Mm-hmm. What was that process like? Because I'm, you speak so highly of Stryker. So I'm going to make the assumption that you didn't necessarily leave on bad terms. You didn't want to leave, nope. but you just wanted something different. Walk us through that process. How long before did you know what kind of triggered the move and what you're doing today? Yeah, good good question. And you're right. I mean, all all bridges are intact to Striker. It's it's mm-hmm. an incredible, I mean, it was a very emotional goodbye, I'll tell you that much. And, and as a leader of people, I, you know, I used to always tell my region managers this like once you become a leader of people, there is no two-week notice. Mm-hmm. You don't give a two-week notice. Otherwise, you should have never been a leader of people in the first place. It's more of a six-month notice and a conversation with, you know, your boss and, and human resources and everybody because there's, you know, there's a lot going on. So it's only right that you do that. And that's kind of that's kind of how that went. I think the big thing for me was moving down here. Our, our personal circumstances were such that by the time we arrived down here, years of hard work as a family to get debt-free would be reality for us. 
So that was something we've been working on. And, and all of a sudden that opened the possibility for like, okay, you know, I just turned 42. And as a former coach, you know, I kind of wanted to blend all of my experience together and help as many people as I can. And when I was having those conversations with, you know, with my friends at Stryker, it was going to be a lot harder for me to be like an institutionalized employee that did that Mm -hmm. versus an independent contractor that could, you know, swoop in and work with them at any time and still do all the things that they love me for, but also chase the passion projects that, you know, that I wanted to do. And that was just going to be an easier path for me at the end of the day. And, and it was time and, and, you know, it it was time because I had a backfill that I had been working with to prepare them to take the position that I was in, which is another important step. I think Mm -hmm. in leadership, if you are going to move on, you should have also done your job to get someone ready to do a better job than you. So that was in place as well. So it just kind of all came together uh, in, in a way that was like, if I'm ever going to go out and do my own thing, it, it, it has to be right now. And the coolest part about it was like the support from Stryker is, was, dude, it was overwhelming, yeah. like emotionally overwhelming when it was all, you know, becoming public of what was going on. And that was really cool. Cause you, I assume you only really get to experience that sometimes when you're like 65 and you're retiring or whatever. Yeah. So to get that at this point in my career was just wild and, uh, extremely grateful all around. That sounds like a great organization and their reputation is that they are one of integrity. So it doesn't surprise me. And and you spent little, little less than a third of your life there. So, you know, it's, it's a big thing and I'm sure it was really hard to make that choice. And I know I've had people reach out to me and they're in their mid forties, almost approaching their late forties and they're freaking out because, you know, they've been in the medical space and they're kind of making you know, 5% more than they did last year. And it's not keeping up with inflation mm-hmm. there. You know, the industry is getting more compact where dollars are tighter, but everybody gets to that age where you'd want to give back or, cause I, a lot of people in their forties in the sales industry, they feel the same way as we do. Yeah. I wanted to help people. The whole purpose of surviving outside sales is giving back to such a great industry that's provided so much for me. And a lot of people are struggling not just in med device sales, but maybe payroll, Bev sales, any type of outside sales, people are struggling Mm -hmm. and they're struggling with the fact of, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. And there might not be a path to management. There might not be a path to get massive promotions and massive pay, pay increases. And they've been doing X, Y, Z for, you know, a decade. And so what advice would you give to somebody who's similar in age to us? I'm 43 that has experience in, I mean, if you've been in outside sales for more than a decade, you know what you're doing because it, it weeds people out pretty quickly. You either have the grit to hear no a million times and still get yeses, or you have the ability to build relationships and emotionally change people from one state to another, which involves your solution or your product. So what, what advice would you give to somebody who's very similar and they're thinking about making that change. They haven't quite made the leap. What would you tell them? Mm. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I mean, <clears throat> I'll go first. Yeah, go go ahead. I'm the extreme. Go for it. Sure. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. What do, you ha- what do you have to lose? Let's say you do it for a year and you realize that you want to go back into your career. Somebody will hire you. Yep. 
right. long as you have the conviction and you tell them straight from the heart, as you mentioned earlier about interviewing, if you tell them the truth, mm-hmm. I have no, I have no question that I could go back and get a full-time job if I wanted to, because they're going to say, well, what have you been doing the last three years? Yeah. I started my own company. I started a podcast and I talked to really smart people. And yeah. this is what I've gleaned off of that. Yeah. Cause I believe it. And so yeah. You know, obviously, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, which some people are, or you don't have a lot of money stowed up, which I get it. But if you're financially secure enough, go for it. Yeah. Because I'm like, yep. if, if I don't die and it's not going to kill me, then okay, it's just another roadblock. So I'm on the extreme. Do you like yeah. that idea? What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent a part of the, co- of the components of it for sure. At some point, you know, you got to put it up on the table and say, I'm, I'm placing the bet on me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just for, for my personal, you know, situation, it was just like, if I'm 75 years old and I'm sitting on a boat dock with my grandkids or worse yet, I'm 90 and I'm in a hospital staring at the ceiling. And I know I never truly bet on me. I'm going to have a problem with that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then just combining that with, you know, the circumstances that we now have as a family, it's like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it right now. So I think if, if, and not everybody is that way though, right? Like Mm -hmm. not everybody's going to be like that, but if it is somewhere like in the back of your mind or, or something you verbalize at some point, then yeah, go for it because you're never going to know if you don't. And, you know, my buddy likes to remind me all the time. He's a business owner. And one time he was in the corporate world, like we were. And, you know, a lot of times he's like, man, he's like, you should see the world that's out here and you should see the people that are successful out here. You wouldn't even believe it. You know, they just had the guts. Mm -hmm. That's really the difference. They had the guts and they didn't quit. That's probably the other part. That's like kind of the the secret to the whole thing is like, just don't quit, be consistent and, and keep going. And I, I like that because that's, I'm a big, dumb offensive lineman. That's simple. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, just go for it and don't quit, but you got to find that thing. I, I've got, you know, mentor I'm kind of working with to, to help me launch this business. And he's basically saying, what is the thing you can talk about for 30 minutes without preparation in front of 1500 people? You can mm-hmm. just flow, whatever that thing is, that's it. Do that and build that out. And it's 2022. There's a million and one ways to freaking make a buck. Mm-hmm. Like there's no excuse for anybody, anywhere, anytime, especially if you live in the United States of America, you got a great shot. There's just so many things going for people to do their own thing right now that, you know, if you got that passion to do it, then do it to your point, freaking do it. I like your answer of how you explained it better than me. Just <laughs> being very blunt, just do it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And you know, when you mentioned I can riff for 30 minutes on process. Yeah. And building. I love building. And so I mentioned before that I've said on the podcast, I've taken over failing territories almost exclusively in my sales career with one exception. Yep. And I did that throughout my career and I'm still learning. I'm only in my early forties and I have a personal goal of, I don't think I'm ever going to retire, but what I don't want to do is be in the daily grind past 52. Mm-hmm. So I set that goal a year ago. I'm 43 right now. And yeah. what, I, what I mean by that is if I tell myself, hey, I'm not working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, I don't have to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. Yeah. But I still want to give back because I feel like a lot of the experience in, in my industry 
has been people will kick the ladder from behind them once they reach a certain level. Mm-hmm. And they're like, good luck getting up to where I am. Mm-hmm. And it's the wrong type of competitiveness where it's not a competitive competitiveness against your abilities. It's competitiveness about other people's success. And I think that is the wrong mentality. And I think it's a little small cancer that's building in our industry. And instead of going out, working harder and figuring out, you're just going to chop the legs out from somebody else. So you can stand a foot taller, even though you haven't done anything better, but, but no, off on that tangent, but I, dude, that that's a good one. Like let's stay on this just for a second, because this is important. I think just everyone should probably hear it to your point, you know, and my slogan right now on LinkedIn (laughs) is making more leaders. Yeah. And the the whole idea of this thing, especially if you're going to be an employee and you're going to work your way through a corporate situation, you want to be a leader of people someday. And then you want to go interview for a director job one day. All the candidates have the same bullet points, but what separates everybody is who have you hired and what are they doing now? How are you developing people? How are you bringing people along? I've always said like my whole goal at Stryker, and I've verbalized this a million times, I want to work for somebody I hired. That was ultimately my my resignation plan was when I got to work for somebody that I had hired or developed, I'm out. Yeah. And dude, that, that is like the key. I don't know if it's like the universe wants it to be that way. And you know, it's the karma thing or what it is, but that is truly the deal. And for the, the ladder kickers and all those, they're just going to do, they're going to be dead. They're going to be washed up and gone and done. You're never going to hear from them again. Their legacy is never going to reach anybody. It's a wrap, Yep. you know? And so that's the key. That's the secret sauce to the whole deal is helping as many people as you can. Awesome. I'm now that you've given that information, I just thought of a question. What's the biggest win in your career? Mm. Yeah. As a salesperson or just overall, just overall, what was the biggest win where you, after it was done, though, the satisfaction level made you, you're on this high, just euphoric. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm certainly very, I'm very proud of the the progress and the success that the people have had that have worked with me and for me and that I've hired and developed. And that's, that's really the stuff that, that gets me most excited, probably most recently, you know, leaving, you know, with leaving Stryker and the way my backfill worked out there, that that's, dude, that makes me feel good. You know what I mean? That makes me feel good. As far as being a rep, carrying a bag, selling. I posted about this and it was based on this, this advice that my dad gave me. My dad was a former Xerox sales guy back in 1972, going through the academy. And uh, you know, one of the things he always told me about sales is like, just make one more call. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like when it's three 30 and you're like, you know, I'm 45, 50 minutes away from home. Traffic's a bear. I'm going to go home. He's like, trust me, just like go make one more call. I did that. I met somebody that was brand new in their role. They had a really big, important job for the hospital. They really cared about making an impact with it. And she and I just linked up together, started working together, put in a bunch of work together that led to, it it might still be providing Rolex watches in a certain territory at a certain nice. company today. But you know that that's just one that's kind of like, man, if I would have never made that call that, on that Tuesday afternoon, I don't know. I don't know where things would have ended up. Who knows? But that's a proud moment going back in time, thinking about being a rep. That's that's going the extra mile. 
just but people people will look at that dude or hear that or maybe at the time they heard of your success mm-hmm. and what's the word they might have applied to that story luck luck you created your own luck man that that's kind of like you really want to know the secret to selling outside you create your own luck by doing stuff like that i love it yeah well luck is just you know the well prepared meeting an opportunity that's it it's the well prepared yep if you're not prepared. So yeah, I a hundred percent love that mindset. Eric, I, I really do appreciate it. I just want to start wrapping up. How can people connect with you going forward? If they've got questions about getting out of their sales career and they want to kind of do what you're doing, any advice as far as, you know, if they're in senior leadership or they're in management and they just don't really want to do what they're doing anymore, but they want to try something else. Or if somebody wants to get into medical sales, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the best way right now is, is LinkedIn. That's, that's where all my time and attention is being put right now in terms of content. Yeah. LinkedIn, Eric Rehovac. Mike did a great job of spelling everything out there on the screen, but if you're listening, <laughs> it's Eric, E-R-I-K and Grahovac is G-R-A-H-O-V-A-C. And then, you know, if you, furthermore, if you just want to get everything sent right to your door in terms of the content that I'm putting out, you can click the bell on my profile page. That'll do it all for you. Then comment and share my stuff. And and that'll be the best way for me to just interact with you on the site. But certainly if you shoot me a DM, you know, I can get around to up to chatting with you, but that's the best way LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn every Monday through Friday, 815 Eastern standard time in the morning. Absolutely. Well, and thank you so much, Eric. This has been a pleasure. And if you want to reach out to the show, you can Mike at surviving outside sales, please go follow Eric on connect with him on LinkedIn. And uh, please, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well and reach out to the show, follow the show, Eric. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. And uh, hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks, Mike. Have fun. Thank you. Thanks.